0: Today's scripture reading is Psalm 77 verse 1 to 20. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God that he may hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. I think of God and I moan. I meditate and my spirit faints. You keep my eyelids from closing. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old and I remember the years of long ago. I commune with my heart in the night. I meditate and search for my spirit. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love ceased forever? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? And I say, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is so great is our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have displayed your might among the peoples. With your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. The very deep trembled, the clouds poured out water, and the skies thundered. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the mighty waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, people.
1: Thank you, Edward, for reading our scripture this morning. Last week, we wrapped up a sermon series, and we began the year with a phrase from Psalm 136 that we said over and over again. Some of you may remember it, God's steadfast love endures forever. And one of our families, the McLarens, had bracelets made that say just that, God's steadfast love endures forever. You may have noticed the praise band wearing them this morning. Uh, We have... Some we'd like to share with you. They're available at the welcome desk. Uh, After you leave worship today, we invite you to take one home. Thank you very much for that gift. We've been wearing them at church this week. Uh, It's a wonderful way to remember God's presence and love that are with us always. Today we begin a very different type of sermon series called Soul Care. You'll see that lovely bowl of tomato soup. Inviting us to have some comfort food. With this sermon series, we'll be talking about things that are difficult to talk about together. So we'll have a common language that we can share. What we want to do is make some of these difficult topics uh, normalized in a way that we can process them together. What will we do in this sermon series? We want to offer real help for some of the hardest things that we experience in life, like grief and trauma and depression and anxiety and such. Why are we doing this? Well, we've been working on updating our long range and short range vision called Focus 2025. And as part of that, we sent our steering team out into the community to ask leaders in this area what some of the most difficult issues are right now. We talked to representatives who are leading government, first responders and hospitals and schools and military services. And we asked them, what are the two top concerns we are facing right now in this area? And we heard over and over again mental health needs and encouragement that's needed for persons who are burned out and overwhelmed. And so we've put together this sermon series as one way to help address that together. We also have support groups and small groups and other opportunities, but we wanted to address it in worship together as well. So that's why we're doing this. And we want to lift this up as a way to help us learn how to talk about it and how to help others talk about this and go through this together. You'll find in the digital bulletin each week during this series additional resources that you can um, research and look up for uh, more help along the way. You'll also will see a video that we'll have each week. It'll change, and that will be a way to invite us into that experience. So today we begin our series with grief, and I'm going to use my notes more than I normally do because I want to be really careful with the language that we choose and the way we put those words together today. Plus, it's a personal sermon, um, and a stand is helpful. So I want to invite you to pray now with me. Holy, holy God, we love you. We love you so much, and we want to grow in our love for you and in our love for other people. Help us know, Lord, how to be there for others and how to walk through difficult things ourselves with God. You, Lord, may the words of our mouths, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer, our refuge. And all God's people said, Amen.
2: I don't know how it will be for you. For me, when the news came... When it sat down across from me in the waiting room at 4 a.m., wearing scrubs and speaking words awful and full of strangeness, it came with a humming in my head, an endless echoing buzzing. I can hardly tell you the words. Others would piece that together for me later. Your husband died. We did everything we could. I remember wanting to ask if someone could please get me a blanket already because I was shaking so hard. I thought I would shatter, weep, scream, wail if you want. There was a reason the ancients told us to rend our clothes after a death, to cover our heads with ashes they knew that keeping it together is overrated. There will be days the tears will begin as soon as your feet hit the floor. There will be days the tears will not wait as long as that. Let the tears come every time. Then make breakfast. Let yourself lean into the circle of your closest ones, your dearest ones, and do not fret for the friends you have no energy for, while you learn how to live all over again. Do not tell me that what does not kill me will make me strong, or that God will not send me more than I can bear, Do not tell me I was lucky. Give me instead the blessing of sitting with me when you cannot think of what to say. Give me instead the blessing of asking about him, how we met, or what I loved most about the life we have shared.
1: Grief is like that disorienting, messy, muddled, and rightfully so. Grief breaks parts of us without our permission and can make a familiar God look unknown. After the death of my mom when I was in middle school, I was not sure what to do with God and needed God at the same time. I had a push-pull relationship with Jesus. Jesus sat with me and I would push him away and then in the next moment I would want to pull him closer. I remember one night a few months after the accident that killed my mom, I was fixing supper for my whole family and I set the table like I always did. Four place settings, right? One for my dad, one for my mom, one for my sister, one for me. And my dad walked in the kitchen and he said, What are you doing? And I couldn't figure out what was wrong until I followed his gaze where it had landed in front of the chair where my mother used to sit and the plate and the setting that was there. Oh, the flood of emotions. I remember my dad put his arms around me while I was there stirring the soup and I fell apart, kind of landed in the floor. And then my dad left the kitchen, I imagine, to do some grieving of his own. And then I had to put it all away. The plate, the fork, the knife, The spoon, the napkin, and the glass. Back in the drawer, back in the cabinet, one by one. It felt like a Herculean task. And that fork weighed about five times more than it did when I put it down to begin with. And I remember the sound that it made when it touched the other forks in the drawer. And I remember how that plate sounded with a thud when it went back into that stack up there in the cabinet. It just sounded so final. It's one of those moments when grief catches us off guard and finds a new crevice in which to settle kind of under that third rib somewhere where it will sit and take root for years That night, I remember Jesus hung out with me in the kitchen, sat with me in the floor, sat with us at the table, and I was thankful that he was there and I wanted him to leave and I didn't want him to be anywhere else, all at the same time. Grief is messy like that, muddled like that, disorienting like that. And when grief becomes part of our lives, we feel however we feel. Grief is not neat or tidy or well-behaved. It is not supposed to be. There's no one right way to grieve, and we cannot compare our experience to someone else's. We grieve in different ways at different paces and it takes as long as it takes and not usually the three days we get off in the work week when we lose someone we love. And sometimes grief doesn't necessarily end, right? It becomes less raw for some of us and turns into this old uncomfortable companion that moves in and with which we learn to keep moving. I have studied grief, taken multiple graduate courses in it, interned in it as a hospital chaplain, and have experienced it way too many times for my liking, and do not claim to be an expert in it, and do not want to be. In fact, there's much I wish I could unlearn about it. After many experiences of grief in our lives, we become like Sherpas or midwives or traveling companions for others when they experience it, knowing that we can only come alongside in the journey and we cannot do it for someone else, only with. And with probably matters the most. And we could spend weeks talking about grief and faith and we have a little less than 20 minutes (laughs) So we'll paint with broad strokes today and offer resources and say that your three pastors, Jeff and Monica and I and Keith Priest, our Christian counselor on staff, are available to walk through grief with you and to have connections to other counseling services as well. And so if you hear nothing else today, please hear this. It is a good, and strong and sacred thing to ask for help when you need it. Please do. Let someone walk with you. Grief and loss have been prevalent these last two years. We are in, as a society, a prolonged season of collective grief. With about 900,000 deaths now from COVID in the U.S. alone, over 5.6 million worldwide. All of this from a disease of which we had never heard until it became the third leading cause of death in the U.S. behind heart disease and cancer. And our collective grief as a culture has also been of the kind that rarely makes the headlines but still something that we name as a loss. Some of those big celebrations and milestones we were looking forward to celebrating together, like graduations that were suddenly very different or not held at all, and proms and family celebrations and showers and weddings and even funerals and wanting to be with someone we loved when they were in the hospital and yet we couldn't be. These are all griefs and losses that it's helpful to name. We've had the loss of routine and structure with work and school and transitions like moving and changing jobs and PCS and deployment and retiring. And we need to name and grieve that too. And then there are those losses we rarely share with someone else, like a miscarriage. Diagnosis, divorce, the loss of a dream, or that loss of independence that comes little by little as we grow older. There are a myriad of ways that grief and loss are part of our lives. And identifying what we are grieving can be helpful if we can say it out loud. It helps us to name it and take just a half step back from it. Grief expert David Kessler writes about the patterns that grief often takes. Denial, anger, bargaining, sadness, acceptance, meaning, making. You've probably heard of these. It's not a linear process. It's a messy one. And Kessler says that COVID has added an additional layer to these known patterns of grief. That the world has changed and we realize it but we wonder what will be different moving forward of what have we already let go and what in our culture will never quite be the same. Grief often places us in this in-between space, right? We call it liminal space between the no longer and the not yet, between one reality and the next not knowing yet what that next will be. What is it like to never need a fourth spoon again? When that season starts, you just don't know. It's like moving in between two poles from disorientation and reorientation to disengagement and reengagement, disintegration, reintegration, not knowing what the other side of that looks like. And we start to ask questions that are hard Like which of our losses are temporary and which ones are not? And how can I let go of things in healthy ways and let God lead me toward new meaning, knowing that God doesn't waste a loss? When I have hard to resolve, hard to ask questions like that, I turn to the Psalms, the book of Psalms, right in the middle of the Bible. Because in the Psalms, nothing is off limits. We find every human emotion in them, and they often ask the questions that we feel like we cannot ask. And when I have questions of grief and loss, I turn to Psalm 77 that Edward read for us today. It's a psalm that takes full advantage of not having limits. It sits in the thick of loss and feels it fully and says whatever it wants to say. In those first nine verses, the emotions pour out. We can fall apart and start out innocently stirring soup and wind up in the kitchen floor. Or we can, like a friend of mine, go out in the yard during a thunderstorm after a second miscarriage to scream and shout to God. We can sit in the thick of it, name what we miss or need to grieve And let it feel however it needs to feel and rant and rail against God, at God, question God if we want to and not play nice with God. God's okay with that. God made us and knows what it is for a human heart to break and lose some of its pieces because God mourns with us too. That's what this scripture does and it's freeing that it's already in there in the Bible and it's awful and holy and messy and sacred like that at verse 10 the psalmist takes a bit of a half step back the verse says it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed grief raises questions in us about who God is and And we find ourselves asking if not only the number of plates has changed, but if it's far scarier that we're wondering if God has changed or if God was never who we thought God was in the first place because grief can make God look strange to us. And so it's healthy to name the questions that it raises and sit with them with someone else because those questions can lead us into a more deeply grounded faith. Verses 11 through 15 start moving us toward reorientation when we're ready for it. It's when the best of memory speaks. It's when we find a way to brush our teeth and keep going. It's when people we love help us lean into the best of memories and lean in toward living toward God again. It's when God surrounds us with people who can confirm for us that God's steadfast love endures forever and God has not gone anywhere. In the last five verses of the psalm, I wish were different, but they're not. What they are is wise. The psalmist writes that the only way through grief is through it. No shortcuts, no quick band-aids, no three days and you're over it. No way to avoid the thick of it if we want to grieve well. Verse 19 says we go through the mighty waters through the sea of grief with God and with each other. And what about that with each other? How do we do that? How can we help someone else when they are experiencing grief and loss? How can we come alongside Well, we just do. It's nothing fancy. We just show up. And sometimes we ask the Holy Spirit to sit on our tongues to stop us from trying to pretty up something that cannot be fixed with words. My father's gotten pretty good at that over the years. I have seen him go up to someone else who's lost a spouse and put his arm around them and shake his head and just stay. I've also heard him say to someone, I don't know what to say, but I love you. I like that. Scripture captures a beautiful image of someone showing up to help with grief and loss in the book of Job. You might know that book. It's the one right before the book of Psalms. It's a story about suffering. And Job is this main character, the man in the story, and his name means appropriately two things. It means both persecuted one and where is God. In the story, Job loses his children. He loses his livestock. He loses his income because he's lost the livestock. He loses some of his property, and then he loses his health, and his wife is not being helpful. I'm just saying... And then there are these three verses in chapter two in which his friends show up. His three friends have heard about what's happened to him, and they come from wherever it is that they live to be with him and sit with him on the ground for seven days and do not say a word. It's beautiful. And then about chapter 4, they start talking, and it goes downhill from there, and they ruin it. But in those three verses, they get it right. <laughs> Showing up matters. Being there matters more than anything sometimes. Sometimes there are no words, only love And if we do say something, let us say something like, what is it like for you today? Tell me more. I don't know what to say, but I love you. He was a great guy. I love how she used to tease me. Tell me how you met. I learned in the halls as a hospital chaplain in trauma after trauma, that we don't show up to keep someone from falling apart. Our job is to be with them when they do. And it's a sacred, holy space. Whether that's in a hospital room, whether that's in a church, or whether that's in the kitchen floor. So yes, grief's hard to talk about loss is hard to talk about and maybe you were hoping for a happier sermon today I'm sorry (laughs) but let us make safe and sacred space for one another for the griefs and losses that we experience together and on our own that we may come alongside someone else and be that evidence that God's steadfast love endures forever and God hasn't gone anywhere And we can be there in that space, knowing that God is with us then and with us always. Amen.